You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right. Well, Luke Hawkins, our media guy, is not here today. But we have someone filling in, and she's going to do a great job. But the reason I brought up Luke is because Luke is a big wrestling fan. He, uh, he videos, uh, does professional video for work, wrestling events, like WrestleMania-type events uh, around the country. And so he flies and he travels and shoots video for professional wrestlers, entertainment wrestling. And today we're going to talk about wrestling. And today's uh, coming attraction is, uh, is a wrestler, uh, is a UFC showdown. This is a, a, a massive event in the Bible of mystery. Um, I, I don't know about anybody here ever been in a fight. Raise your hand if you've been in a, like a physical fight before. I'm curious. Raise your hand if you've been in a physical fight. All right, a few of us. <laughs> all right, how many of you, all right, this is kind of funny, a little prompt to you, a little quiz here. How many of you have punched somebody in the face before? Really? Oh, man, oh, man. You guys are scaring me. All right. How many of you ever been in a fight and you've lost? <laughs> Jim, you're like, all of them. Was it the same fight? All of it the same fight? <laughs> I fought. It was physical. I punched him in the face. I lost. So uh, how many have fought more than once? Okay, you might have had a problem then. I'm just... Because every now and then maybe something like that happens. When I'm a, I, I was always a smaller kid in school, and so the way that I fought was usually uh, dirty, you know, kicking, biting, breaking fingers. That was my idea of a fight, is uh, get a hold of their fingers, their arms, that kind of thing. Um, meeting someone and knowing someone are two different things. And today we're going to talk about a guy who wrestled uh, with somebody who he believed in, but then after this wrestling event, he didn't just believe him, he met him and he knew him. And uh, today, I'm excited because this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And uh, there are Old Testament guys that actually met Jesus. And this is one of those stories. And I put a little you know, question out on, on Facebook if you could guess who the Bible character is. And you're going to find out if you got it right. We've been talking about places where Jesus literally and literally shows up. In the Old Testament, he shows up in four major ways through the Old Testament as an appearance, like a cameo, uh, an incarnation where Jesus physically shows up. That's what we're going to talk about today. Also in prophecy, uh, that's a little bit about today as well. And as a person, uh, we've been doing that over the last couple of weeks, and as a type, as a symbol or uh, a title, and we've, uh, that was the last couple of weeks as well. Now, the reason that we're doing this series is, is and I got to really thinking, a lot of this is, is, is very much informational series. And like, why? It's not so, like last week we talked about complaining and, and just kind of how harmful and dangerous it is. And it's parts of it are practical. But a lot of this is just getting, getting to know Jesus. You know, when you love somebody, you want to know what they're like. You know, when, you, when you're interested in somebody and you go out on a date, you don't just sit there and talk about yourself all night. You're like, where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like, you know? What kind of uh, games did you play as a kid? Did you ever get in a fist fight with somebody? You know, you just ask what You get to know people because when you want to know somebody or when you love somebody, you want to know them, you ask things about their life. And so what we're doing is, is we're getting to know Jesus because we love him. And if you don't know him yet, then be in awe of the fact that Jesus is not a one-time event 2,000 years ago, but he's God on earth who's been around for all of eternity. And he shows up in Genesis, and he's all the way there to Revelation. There's a, our theme passage. It's in Luke chapter 24. Jesus has a surprise Old Testament Bible study with two of his disciples. Verse 27 says, says and beginning with Moses... That's uh, Genesis in the first five books of the Bible. And all of the prophets, uh, that's the rest of the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, this next part is big. It's in verse 32. It says, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture or opened our eyes to the scripture to us? You see, when we get to know Jesus... My hope is that as you hear about 
Jesus in the Old Testament that your heart would burn even greater for him, knowing that he's more powerful than you ever imagined. He's more wonderful than you could have ever have dreamed, and he's more compassionate and loving than you ever thought. Knowing the real Jesus changes everything. Hebrews 11 in the New Testament has a list of people who did not give up. We call them faith heroes or the, the hall of faith is what sometimes Hebrews 11 has been called. It's written to Jewish Christians to encourage them not to give up on Jesus in a time of struggle. And so they said, he lists all these great people of faith, these prophets and these people in the Old Testament who didn't give up on God and how we shouldn't either give up on our faith. Well, Hebrews 11 once says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. You see, faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not a divine force. Faith is not the absence of fear or even the absence of doubt. Faith is living in light of God's word despite our reality. So regardless of what your reality says, no matter how scared you are or how much you doubt, you live it or you walk in it, or you step out in it, and that's why it's called faith. You're trusting in God to do what he says, even if you're not sure yourself, but you're trusting him. It's faith. So we see this in Hebrews 11. I want to ask you, what does your faith currently look like? What, what do you need to trust God on? Where, where are you lacking trust in the Lord with your relationships or finances or family well, this week we're going to look at a guy who started off as a villain who became a hero. A guy who, who uh, was Abraham's grandson. And let's take a look at it. It's actually mentioned in the Hebrews Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, verse 20 and 21. It says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons Jacob and Esau, okay? By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, when who was dying? Uh, Jacob blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on his staff. Now, the big question of this little passage is why does it mention that he leaned on his staff? All the writers uh, or rather, all the readers of this story would have known, ah, I know why he's leaning on his staff. Because it's part of the Jacob story. What we're going to do is we're going to look at today why he was leaning on that staff and why it's so important that it was put in that Hebrews 11 passage. Jacob is possibly one of the most significant heroes of Israel and a man who had a, an, an incredible sighting of Jesus in the flesh, a cameo. And not only did he have a sighting of him, but he wrestled with him. He physically wrestled with Jesus. This is the story of a man who's running from his past and how a villain became a hero. It's in Genesis chapter 25 is where we're going to look at the story. We're going to pick it up. Abraham's son, Isaac, just got married. By the way, his whole, his whole relationship is really cool. It's kind of like the first online dating service. You should check it out. It's pretty interesting. Uh, Abraham's son, Isaac, got married. His wife became pregnant. She had twins. And with twins, you know, you have this tradition in, in the Hebrew culture, which is the first son born, the oldest son receives the inheritance or the family authority of the father. All right, so any, anything that belongs to dad goes first to the oldest son. All right, even if it's twins, the first one that comes out. So Genesis 25, verse 22 says these twins, the babies jostled each other within her. They were always kind of seemed like wrestling or moving or, or kicking. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She asked the Lord. She prayed. And the Lord said to her, well, inside of your womb, he says, there's two nations inside of your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the other will serve the other. All right, so immediately God says inside of your stomach there's two boys, and these boys will grow up to be nations of people who will always be 
fighting for authority, but one will ultimately serve the other. See, God ordained before their birth that something dynamic was going to happen. And it says the older will serve the younger. Now that seems backwards because the older person who is born is always the one who's in authority over the younger. So here's what God says. Listen to this for a second. God says the, the younger son will be in charge of the older son. Even before they were born, God ordained the younger to be over the older. This was a calling of God. This was something that was against the tradition of their people. But Jacob, who was the younger one, did not trust God and took it into his own hands. So when they were born, they named them according to their characteristics. The first one was Harry and had red hair, so they named him Esau. Esau means hairy. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? So like, what does Esau mean? Does it mean like strong or beautiful? No, it means hairy. So Esau was very hairy, and uh, he had a nickname, and his nickname was Edom. And guess what Edom means? It means red, because he had hairy red hair. So uh, he was called Edom. And by the way, maybe you've heard later on in the Bible of a group called the Edomites. These were descendants of Esau, and they, uh, they were known for their characteristically bright red hair. So Esau is hairy and has red hair. The second came out holding the ankle of the hairy red one. And so they named him Jacob. And why Jacob? Because Jacob doesn't mean magnificent, wonderful, strong ruler. It means heel grabber. Jacob literally means one who tries to cheat. Who try, you know, like if you're, if you're ever like racing to the refrigerator or if you ever like first one in the car, you know, uh, uh, gets to sit in the front seat, right? And you're like pulling each other apart. You, you ever do that race to the car? Well, maybe when you're a kid, you know, you're pulling apart, you're pulling them back. Hey, you're cheating. That's exactly what Jacob means. How's your Jacob being? You know, it's like when you're pulling them back. It's called a heel grabber. It's one who cheats, one who tries to uh, deceive or trick the other. So they thought, well, he's hanging on to his brother because he was trying to pull him back in. So they said, well, let's call him Jacob. So now you have Esau, Harry, and you have Jacob, whose name means heel grabber or cheater. Jacob was born to fight. Here's some things about Jacob that are important to understand because Jacob, you think, man, he's a hero of the faith. He shows up in Hebrews 11. He wasn't always a good guy. In fact, he was not a good guy at all for most of his life. He was born to fight. He fought his whole life. You find that he fought at his birth and he grew up and he fought with his brother. He fought with his father. He fought with his father-in-law. All through the scriptures, Jacob was one who always was contentious, who was a trickster, and who was always into fighting people, and he even fought Jesus. Jacob was also a cheat and a thief. What do you think, man, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three foundations of the Hebrew faith, which is our bedrock of Christianity, you know, the lineage of Jesus is from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think, man, these must be great people. Well, Jacob was actually a cheat and a thief. As a young man, he swindled his own brother using goulash. Goulash is like this stew, this, this uh, old-time school. So Jacob's famous goulash. Esau was a hunter. He was kind of like a manly man, hairy, red hair. You know, he liked to be out and doing stuff. Jacob was a mama's boy, so he was always hanging back with his mom. And his mom was always instigating his deceptive nature. So she was like, you need to trick your brother. You need to grab this from your brother. He even was uh, talked into tricking his own father by his mother because she favored Jacob over Esau. Well, one day Esau, the hunter, came back in starving. Uh, usually when you go out hunting, it's not like a couple hours out. You're out for days. And so he's out for days. He comes back nearly dead and he's, he's, uh, he's starving, and, and Jacob's there, and he's like, Jacob, please fix me something to eat. And Jacob says, hmm, this is a moment to see if I can maybe manipulate the situation. Jacob says, that I will fix you something to eat, brother, who's almost dying, if you do one thing for me. 
if you give me the spiritual leadership of the family from you to me. See, God had already told his mother, and I'm sure his mother told Jacob, and as you read the story of Jacob, God told Jacob that it was his. He didn't have to fight for it. He didn't have to trick people for it. But yet he had it in his mind that he had to take the matters into his own hand. So he says to his brother, he says, if you will give me the rights to the family authority, if you will sell me the the birthright that you have to be the leader of this family, I'll give you some food. Esau, ready to starve, gives in, and Jacob cons his brother using food. He was a cheat. He was a thief. He was a trickster. Years later, he's also a part of the first recorded identity theft in the Bible. Isaac, their dad dying now, had lost his sight. Esau was out getting his dad some dinner because he was a great hunter. And Jacob tricked his own father into believing that he was Esau. He put wool on his arms. His dad was blind. He says, look, dad, it's me. And he, his dad put his arm on the, by the way, Esau must have been really hairy. <laughs> it's like really, it's like he covered it with like some kind of, you know, goat skin. <laughs> it must have been super hairy. So he's like, look, dad, it's me, Esau. He tricked his own dad into saying that he was Esau. And as his dad was dying, he says, won't you bless me with the family blessing? And this is what happened. Uh, Genesis 27, verse 18. He went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered, what is your name? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. So he lied about hunting for his dad. He lied about his name. He, uh, he's lying about the blessing. I mean, he's a, he stole his brother's identity. So Isaac, Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly? Because I thought you were going to be out and hunting. And this is what he says, the Lord, your God, gave me successes. Man, what a liar. Not only is he stealing his brother's success, but he's taking the Lord's name in vain. He's saying, God did this for me. God brought me here. God did this. God didn't do any of that. He was a liar. He was deceitful. He was, he was thieving his brother. Jacob blessed him with the mantle of Abraham. And he basically said, Jacob, you are now the leader of this promise that God gave my father and that God gave uh, Abraham. And he says, he says, this blessing is that you will be a great nation and that the world will be blessed by you and through you, and God, as a result, will bless you in this life. And gave him an incredible blessing, the heir of God's promise. Now, what's interesting here, you're like, well, well it seems like he could just like, wait a minute, wrong guy, whoop, take all that back, man, I take it all back. This is what's amazing about the, about the Old Testament fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They weren't just dads, they were prophets, and see, when they spoke something, when they declared something, it was done. It was established. So it's not like he could go, God bless him, multiply his family. Through him will be the great uh, family of, of all the world. Through his family will, become, will come the Messiah. Uh, oh, wait a minute. You're not, uh, uh, forget all that. All right, Esau, through you, you know, he couldn't do that because his words were filled with an incredible amount of trust and faith in God. That's why he's mentioned in Hebrews 11, because he trusted God in spite of the situation, and his words were prophetic in whoever he spoke him into, and his sons knew that. So Jacob, as you imagine, who ripped off his brother Esau, hurt his brother. And here's the next thing, it says Jacob hurt people deeply. He, he was not only a, an identity stealer, a thief, a thief and a cheat and a fighter, but he, he hurt people. And he knew he hurt people. And it didn't seem to bother him at all what was about to happen to Esau. Esau was out there working hard, hunting, bringing his dad home something to bless him with, knowing very well that when Esau got back, he would be crushed. So Esau shows up, and this plays out in the Bible like a soap opera. You should read it. There's greater details in the Bible. Verse 31, the second part uh, Esau comes in and he says, my father, sit up and eat some of my game 
so that you'll give me your blessing. And his father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it, and, and just before you came, I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud, bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. Man, I can feel the anguish in this. I can feel the pain. Me too, dad, me too. Please, me too. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Now, what would you do? What would you do? Esau was scammed. And he was mad, and he was angry, and for very good reason. Verse 36, Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Remember, Jacob means cheater, means deceiver, heel grabber, one that pulls back. He says he lived up to his name, a cheater. This is the second time he took advantage of me. He took my birthright, now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Is there anything left for me? Anything at all? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his, uh, all his, relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing? Can you only say one good thing to your sons? Do you have something left over for me? He says, my father, bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. I can just, just see this. He's crying. He's, he's laying there on his dad's bed. Come on, dad. There's got to be something else you can say. Something else you can give me. Another blessing. Then Esau wept. And this is what his father said, and it doesn't seem like much of a blessing to me, because remember when he spoke, it was prophetic. It wasn't just something made up. It was something inspired by God. And, and this is what he said. His father, Isaac, answered him. He says, your dwelling will be away from the earth, earth's riches or richness, away from the dew of heaven above. That means you're going to live in dry and desolate areas. You're not going to have a lot of farmland you're going to have a lot of desert and he says and you will live by the sword it means you're always going to have fighting you're always going to be fighting other people and you will serve your brother and when you grow restless you will throw his yoke from off your neck what does that mean it means this last part is interesting that means that one day someday you'll have enough and you'll let it go when you finally have grown restless, when you've grown, when your heart has grown so tired to fight it anymore, you'll throw it away. You'll throw it off your shoulders. You'll let it go. So verse 41, that doesn't sound like much of a blessing, does it? It doesn't sound like a blessing at all. So Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. That means my dad's going to die soon. And he goes, then I will kill my brother Jacob, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Now, I don't think I would kill him, but I don't blame his desire to see him dead. He was angry. He was upset. Jacob was a miserable person. This is the next one. Jacob was a He wasn't happy. You read through the story, and you think, man, this man's a man of faith, and man, God is always with him. He wasn't always with him in a good way. He was with him. God was with him in a miserable way. He was always reminding Jacob of, of, his, of his dark heart. And Jacob was miserable. He moved away from his family. He, he had to leave his own home. He had to leave his mother, who he loved and adored. And he left his, his other siblings. And he, he left them all because he was afraid his brother wasn't going to kill him while he slept at night. So he took his family and he left with nothing. God did bless him with possessions and his family grew, but he was miserable because he always was looking over his shoulder to see if his brother was behind him to try to kill him. He started a family. He did become wealthy. God blessed him, but he literally ran from his brother for 20 years. 
20 years he ran from his brother, but he realized that if he was going to go forward with God, he had to face his past. God instructed Jacob, stop running and go home. Jacob was incredibly fearful. He was afraid and for good reason. He wasn't just afraid of Jacob. He was afraid of all of Jacob's family. Think about it. Uh, I'm sorry, of all of Esau's family. Think about it. Esau's like, yeah, we could have we been the blessing of the earth. We could have had possessions and wealth in God's favor. But no, my brother stole it from all of us. All of us. Kids, I have nothing to give you because, you're, because my brother, your uncle, stole deceptively my identity and took the inheritance of my father. In an effort to cool his brother's anger, God said, Jacob, you got to go back. You got to face your past. In an effort to cool his brother's anger, uh, Jacob sent him a bunch of gifts. He sent his brother oxen and donkeys, birds, uh, servants, uh, and a message that basically said, I'm sorry. (laughs) A servant returned after giving all the gifts to Esau, and he says, I have a message from your brother. And the message is, he's coming to find you, and he's bringing 400 soldiers with him. All right, now just off the top of my head, I'd be like, (laughs) get everything, run, right? It's like, it's not working. That whole I'm sorry bit is not working. I mean, I would imagine, what would you do? Fear, anxiety, humility, uh, run. What did he do? Well, the Bible says that he thought it was going to be his last night alive with his family. So Jacob threw a big barbecue and he cried and he said goodbye to all of his family. And then he divided his family into groups and subgroups. And then he divided all of his inheritance and his servants and his livestock and his possessions among the different groups. And then he spread them out into different directions and said, if Esau comes to kill us, at least some of you will survive and have something to live on if he wants to kill us all. So they had a big dinner. They had a big goodbye. They cried. And he sent them all off. And then that night, Jacob sat alone, crying. And pouring his heart out to God at a place called Jabbok, which means, ironically, to empty or to pour out. And that's exactly what he did. Jacob poured out everything he ever did to God. He cried out to God. He cried. He worshiped. He cried. His fear and anxiety was pouring out. He did what most of us would do in a moment like that. He prayed And he poured it all out to God. He was desperate because he was miserable. Look what happened. Genesis 32, 9 says, Then Jacob prayed. He said, O God, my father Abraham, uh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will prosper you. He said, I'm doing what you said, God, but I'm feeling like this is the end for me. And maybe it's what I deserve, but I'm doing what you said. But... He says, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. I'm afraid he's going to kill us all. But you have said, Lord, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So he's saying, God, listen, I think I'm about to die. And I think my whole family's about to be wiped off the earth. But God... You remember that you had promised me the promises of my father, Abraham and Isaac. You you told me that my descendants would be as vast as the sands on the beach, the grains of sand on the beach. He says, that's what you said, God. So he's crying out to God. He says, God, remember the promise. Remember your word and remember me. For Jacob to move forward with God, he had to face a few things. He spent his whole life fighting others and fighting God. And it was all to end right here that night. The next seven verses are bizarre. They've been debated. 
and they've been interpreted through art and through songs, and they're one of those mystery passages, seven strange verses, one amazing coming attraction of Jesus. That night, word and alone, verse 24, he was crying out to God, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The Bible doesn't say at this point who this man is. It just says a man shows up and wrestles. The word wrestle there means to kick up the dust. Okay? It means they got in the dirt. That's literally what it means, to kick up the dust or to get in the dirt. So a man got in the dirt and they kicked up the dirt. They wrestled together until daybreak all night long. We actually have video footage of that event. It was, it's amazing. Uh, so if you could play that first clip, this is video footage of that actual event. a minute you'll never get back. <laughs> if uh, Jacob had a wrestling name, it would be Jake the Snake. That guy was so much of a trickster. But there's something that happened that night that he wrestled with this mystery person. Three encounters that night that turned a villain into a hero. Verse 25, it says, when the mystery man, or when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And let me explain a little bit here. You're like, he, he couldn't overpower him. Well, literally it means when it was obvious that Jacob would not give up or that he would not take no for an answer. It's not so much that, that Jacob could not overpower the person. Uh, the proper translation in some of the other translations, you find it better. Basically what it literally means is that he wouldn't quit. Jacob would not give up. And when the mystery man had determined that he would not give up, he then touched his hip, okay? He just, this, this mystery man was always in control. He was always, always in control of the situation. He says, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. That means came out of socket and he wrestled with the man as he wrestled uh, he clearly could overpower him, was clearly in control. Then this mystery man said, let me go for it's daybreak. Basically, he's saying, uh, okay, it's time to stop. The sun's up. But Jacob replied, I will not stop or I will not go unless you bless me. Why was he convinced that this mystery person had the ability to bless him? Because Jacob knew who this person was. And it wasn't just some guy from Esau's camp, and it wasn't some stranger walking through the woods. This was a unique cameo appearance of Jesus. Jacob knew this was something pretty powerful. And so some people read this little story and they go, was this a literal event or was this a symbolic event of a prayer life? You know, that he was just praying, and he was praying, and he wrestled with God in prayer. He just wrestled, God, I don't know what to do. God, I give it up to you. No, I want to take control. And there was, a, you know, a lot of people think maybe this is just a picture of prayer. It is a picture of prayer. Is it literal or symbolic? It's yes, both. It is both a very literal event in the Bible. How do we know this? Jump up 2,000 years ago, 
And remember Hebrews 11 says that he was found to be faithful as he leaned on his staff. Why did he lean on a staff? Because he couldn't walk right the rest of his life after that mystery man touched his hip. This was a real event. This wasn't a symbolic gesture of his prayer to God. This was a real event. But it was also a picture of prayer for us. So here's three big things that happened that night that turned a villain into a hero. And the first one is he faced God. Who was that person he wrestled with? Well, verse 30 tells us, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Knowing who was in control, Jacob was tenacious and did not give up. He was holding on to God with all that he had. Now, he knew that whoever this person was, that it was God. It was supernatural. It was God manifesting himself temporarily in a physical form to have interaction with Jacob. This is called a theophany, God in the flesh. But because of Colossians 1 and 2, we know that all the theophanies are Christophanies. So we have a picture of Jacob wrestling with Jesus himself. That was God. This was Jesus in human form before he became a human on Christmas morning 2,000 years ago. You see, Abraham the wanderer, God showed up as a traveler. And Joshua the soldier, God showed up as a warrior. Moses, the son of a government leader, God showed up as the lawgiver. But here's Jacob, a fighter. God showed up as a wrestler. There's interesting, God meets us where we are. God got in the dirt with Jacob so that he could know him better. Guys, listen to this. God will go to almost any level to reach you. Wherever you're at, no matter where you've been, Jesus will meet you where you are. Jacob was desperate. He was so desperate, it brought him to his knees. He hit rock bottom. He was looking at the possibility of of losing everything he ever, ever had. And this was the turning point for him to finally face God. Why was he holding on so tightly to this Jesus in the flesh? Because he understood the horror and the shame and the regret of his past. And he was not willing to let go until he knew that God would take care of him in the future. And this is the next thing. He realized he needed God more than anyone or anything, and he wasn't about to give up or let go of God. And this is the second thing he did. He faced God, but he also faced himself. He had to face who he was. That mystery man in verse 27, the man who is Jesus we now know, he says, what is your name? Now, that's a rhetorical question. He knew what Jacob's name was, but he wanted Jacob to say it. He says, what is your name? And Jacob answered, well, my name is Jacob. The last time he was asked that, what is your name, was the night that he lied to his father and stole that birthright, that blessing from his brother. God knew his name. But it's like he was saying, Jacob, are you going to continue to live up to that name? Look at yourself. Is this who you want to be? You want to be a cheater? You want to be a deceiver? You want to be a liar the rest of your life? Facing God gives us a clear view of ourself. Holding on to God, he had to take a good look in the mirror. Maybe you need to take a good look in the mirror. Do you want to be the husband, the mother, the person you're called to be? Or are you going to keep doing the same thing you've always done and be the person of your past? And let your past define your reputation. Then the man, Jesus, we know, said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but your name will be Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Israel is one of these, like, man, it's one of the most dynamic names in, on the earth. I mean, the entire globe is at war over a little tiny city called Jerusalem in a place called Israel. And it's from the people of Israel that we were given Jesus the Messiah, the three largest religions in the entire world find their birth right there in Israel. 
It's a very dynamic and important special place. And you would think that maybe Israel means something great, something like, like beautiful or dynamic or victorious. But you know what Israel means? Israel means it's read forward and backwards. If you read it uh, the way that it, it would have been read then, it means one who struggles with God. Then The word Israel literally means struggles with God. But if you read it the other direction... It means God prevails. Israel's pretty dynamic in its name. And so he said, Jacob, no longer are you the deceiver. But because you struggled with me tonight and you wrestled with me tonight, your name is now one who wrestles with God. But that's okay. But when you look back at that name, it's going to say, but God prevails. Jacob said, please tell me your name. And he replied, why do you ask my name? He says, I'm not going to tell you anyhow. So he doesn't tell him. And he says, then he blessed him there, and Jacob called the place Peniel, which means face of God, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And the rest of his life, he had to lean on that staff as a reminder. That's why it shows up in, in Hebrews 11. And so he faced God, he faced himself, and now here's the hard part. He faced his past, because now he had to get up and he had to face all that he'd ever said and done to his brother Esau. And by faith, he was able to do this because he had a face-to-face -face encounter with God and because he was able to look at who he was in the mirror and God changed who he was, he was now able to face his past. And he faced what he did and he faced the consequences of his actions. And that morning, he assembled his family back together and he goes out to meet Esau. And this is what happens in Genesis 33. He says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So Jacob's still a little nervous. He divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and two maidservants. He put the maidservants and the children in the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And he himself went on ahead and bowed down on the ground seven times as he approached his brother. So he's like, all right, divide up into groups. He's coming. We're not really sure how this is going to go down, but I know God's going to be with us. So he goes up to his brother, and he bows down to him seven times. Why seven? Seven is, a number of, is God's number, a number of completion, a number of perfection. It's the day in which uh, there is the Sabbath, the day of rest. It was a holy representation of, of God. And so he, he bows down. He had no idea what was in store for him. He didn't have any idea what Esau was about to do. He fully expected the worst. It's in God's hands now. God, I'm just going to trust you. I know that you're able, but here I am, God. And this is what it says in verse 4. It says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. 20 years of running. You know, 400 men on the way to meet his brother, he was probably going to kill him. But something happened on that walk for Esau. God moved on his heart, and I think it's because of that wrestling event with Jesus that night before, that as God is working on Jacob, God's working on Esau. And so when he shows up, they wept, they cried, they embraced 20 years of running and fighting. And when he surrendered his past to God, he found a new future and healing in his family for the future. Jacob the villain became Israel, a man of compassion, a man of love, a man of mercy, a man of trust, and he was different. At one time, he just knew about God, but now he knew God. He met Jesus. This is a picture of the redemption of our past in Jesus. Hosea 12, 3, one of the prophets says this later on in the Old Testament. says, in the womb, he, Jacob, grasped his brother's heel as a man, he struggled with God. 
He struggled with the angel. Now, the word angel there means messenger. That's the proper translation. So Jacob didn't wrestle with an angel. We know that he uh, struggled or wrestled with a messenger. And we now know that messenger to be Jesus. He struggled with the messenger and overcame him, meaning he did not let go. It doesn't mean that he overpowered this, this, uh, this uh, Christophany. It doesn't mean that he was stronger than God. It means that he wouldn't give up. He wouldn't quit. He says, and because he did not quit or did not let go, he wept and begged for his favor, and he found him at Bethel. And he talked with him there, and the Lord Almighty, the Lord, is his name. So now we know that, that this messenger was the Lord himself. Now what happened at Bethel? In Genesis 28, there's an event. I've got a stone down here. There's a picture where Joke, uh, Jacob is running, and he's laying his head on a rock. And while he's asleep, he's dead asleep, on this rock, he has a dream. And on this dream, he sees a ladder or stairs coming out of heaven to the earth. And in this dream, he sees the angels of heaven ascending and descending this ladder or stairway. And the Lord tells him in the dream, he says, Jacob, I will be with you. I will bless your family. I will never leave you. I will always be there for you. You can trust me. You can rely upon me. I will never let you down or let you go. And what's cool about this is that when he wakes up, he takes this stone and he realizes that he was at a place where he met God. And so he calls the place Bethel, which means house of God. And he took that stone he was dead asleep, and he awoke from his sleep, and he lifted up that stone. He raised it up, and the Bible says he raised it up, and then he set it up as a monument, as a reminder that he was with God in his very house. And the Lord says, this place where you are sleeping will be the place that will bless the world. Three things God said. I'll fulfill my word to your father. I will fulfill my word to you and your descendants, and I will take care of you right now. That same stone that he slept on, he raised it up. He called the place House of God. At Bethel, God talked to Jacob, and he placed a rock reminder so that every time he forgot that God would be faithful, he looked to the rock. Every time he wondered if God would follow through on what he said, he looked to that rock. Guys, listen, that ladder that he dreamed of is Jesus. Jesus is the ladder. He is the ascension to heaven. He is the only way to heaven and from heaven. And that rock, he was dead asleep on the rock. That rock is Jesus. That after he awoke from being dead, he raised up the rock and set it as a monument. That rock was a picture of of Jesus. And let me tell you something. Every time you wonder, God, are you going to come through? God, are you going to actually take care of me? God, are you going to do, God, what you put in my heart? Jesus says, just look at me. Just look to me. Look to the rock. Let it be a reminder. Go to the house of God and remember the rock. Lift up the rock. You were once dead in your sin as I was dead in the grave, but I have risen from the grave. Set up as a monument for all to see. Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons went on to be 12 tribes, known as the 12 tribes of Israel, and they still live up to their name as a country that struggles with God. Two things happened that morning, and I want to pray for you. Two things happened that early morning when Jacob met Jesus. The first thing, he had a new name. He got a new name, meaning that the past perception was no longer his tag. Here's what happens when you meet Jesus. Your reputation doesn't have to precede you anymore. You can be a new person. You can be set free. You don't have to no longer be identified with that attitude, those actions and those things you've said and the places you've gone and the things you've done. That new name in Christ says that people will know you differently. And it's a new start. He got a new name. The second thing that happened when he met Jesus, he got a new walk. 
For the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. He physically was no longer able to rely on his own strength, and he had to lean on that staff like a crutch the rest of his life. That staff represents Christ. He had to lean on it. He had to trust God, not himself. And he walked differently. Let me tell you something. When you truly meet Jesus, your past is gone. And you walk differently. And you may walk with a limp because of all that you've gone through and all that struggle and all the pain that's been caused to you, that abuse or that hurt. You may walk with the limp. But man, that limp is a beautiful reminder of the new life you have in Jesus. So where are you today? Maybe you're wrestling with God today. Maybe you're living in fear from your past with shame and regret. Or maybe you're like Jacob and it's time for you to face your past. Or maybe you're like Esau and it's time to let go of the past. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That could be you. That could be you. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that in you we have a new beginning. God, I thank you, Lord, that in you we have forgiveness. God, that in you our lost opportunities, moments that slip through our hands, God, in you we can have a new start. I pray as we're, as we're praying right now, as your eyes are closed, won't you come face to face with yourself? Look in the mirror. Where are you in your walk with God? Won't you come face to face with your past? Stop running from God. Stop running from from the reality of your need for God. And won't you come face to face with Jesus today? Allow Jesus to touch you. Walk away from here different today. God, I pray in Jesus' name, if there's anyone here, Lord, that needs to know you in a fresh and an amazing way, God, God, that they would come face to face right now. If that's you, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. And, and I want to invite all of us to pray together. Let's pray this together aloud. Uh, dear Jesus, thank you so much for never giving up on me. Thank you for wrestling with me. I give you my life. I won't let go. Forgive me of my sin. I want to walk differently. I want to know that you're with me. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.